I'd like to speak to you tonight on the subject of unity. Now, when I say that, I don't want anybody to think that I don't think there is unity in this church. Now, a church this size, there's bound to be somebody not getting on with someone. I'm not talking about that, although I will mention that later. But I'd like to talk about the subject of unity as a source of blessing. The scripture says where people dwell together in unity, their God commands the blessing. And so unity is not just a legal thing. We're in unity because we all believe the um, fundamental truths of the Elam Church, or we're all in unity because we decided we would meet in this building. But unity is a very positive force, a very positive force. The scripture puts the onus on us that we are to, as much as it lieth within us, we are to live at peace with all men. So we have that responsibility to do that. So let me read to you, if I may, from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, great chapter on unity. And I'm going to just pick on one verse. In fact, it'll be the last verse I read. Many people um, talk about they'd like to have a New Testament church. Well, you might do, but I don't think you'd want the Corinthian church. The reason that Paul, the Corinthian letter is so helpful is Paul writes correcting a lot of the things they've got wrong. They got confused about the gifts. They got confused about the Lord's table. They got confused about personalities. And that's the basis of this reading. So let me read you 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Brothers, I would not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? When one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? After all, is Apollo, after all what is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants from whom you came to believe, as the Lord assigned each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants or he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. And this is the verse I'm after. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. I need to pray. Father, we ask you now as we look into scripture that you might speak to us. Not Gordon's voice, that can be forgotten as soon as it's heard. But may your voice remembered till we have allowed your word to bear much fruit in our lives. Amen. As I intimated earlier, one of the problems the Corinthian church had was that people were lining up behind personalities. Some were favorite, had their favorite preachers. Now, we've all got favorite preachers. This isn't a matter of saying, well, you know, I prefer R.T. Kendall's preaching to Gordon Neal. Now, I understand there is someone who actually believes that. But, oh, so that was supposed to be funny. But it obviously wasn't. You know, it wasn't a matter of, I like that preacher or that preacher. Or he's my favorite. But, no, no. These were people that were lining up behind the founder of the church, the evangelists and the pastors. And it became a very divisive issue. Some were saying, well, I'm Paul, I'm Apollos. In another part of scripture, it says, even saying that you are of Christ can be divisive. Because when you say, well, I'm of Christ, and when 
you're intimating that others aren't. So this personality thing had taken hold. In fact, Paul says, while you have this attitude, are you not still worldly? He classes worldliness as quarreling and jealousy and party spirit. So sometimes we, I was brought up in an age when worldliness was dancing and smoking and drinking and all the rest. That was called worldly. But Paul's definition is quarreling and jealousy and other such things. And so he comes to this church that got lots of problems, lack of discipline from the leaders to those who had needed disciplining, lack of the communion service being in order, lack of the gifts being given structure. And in the middle of it all, he now comes and he addresses this matter of unity. And he gives them three pictures. That's what I'd like to do this evening. Three pictures to help them understand what the church should be like. Now, you obviously like this church, that's why you attend. And we thank you for your faithfulness and your support. Bring some folk with you, that would be great. But we, he comes to them and he says, listen, I've got three pictures I want to give to you to help you understand what church is about. The first one he says there, and I'm going to do them in reverse order. Yeah. <laughs> Verse 9 says, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. And that's the three pictures. God's building, God's field, God's fellow workers. So he comes to this church where people are lining up behind individuals and he gives them these pictures to show them that church is a unifying force. It's a unifying force. It's part of God's plan that we're in unity. Not uniformity. We don't all look the same. We don't all dress the same. We don't all necessarily think the same. But there is that unity that comes from knowing Christ. And his first picture is, he says, you are God's building. Now, we was writing to the Corinthians, and this is amazing, who lived in Corinth. Eh? That's quick. And he was he's coming to them. Now, they were used to buildings. They were used to temples. All through Corinth, there would have been a Roman temples. There would have been Greek to this God, that God. And as these guys went to church, and they were probably meeting maybe in someone's home or somewhere similar, they would pass these buildings, these spectacular buildings. If you go to Greece, there's some unbelievable architecture of Roman times and Greek times. And Paul comes to this congregation. He says, now listen, you are God's building. We are God's building. In this congregation, thing, we are God's building. When we put the sum total of all who are part of our church together, we are God's building. And he brings with that a sense of unity. A building has walls, it has a roof, it has foundations. And he's trying to teach them that they were God's building. But far more than God's building, he says to them very clearly, you are God's building. We were God's temple. You are the place where God meets. Now, those who were from Corinth would have known about these buildings. One dedicated to Zeus or whatever. You know, they'd be all over the place. And he's saying, now listen, you're not, we're not looking for pillars. We're not looking for white marble. You are God's building. You are the place where God is going to manifest his presence. When people go to the old temples, they actually thought God was in there dwelling, the Greek temple. And he, of course, he wasn't. We go to the Old Testament and in the tabernacle, God's presence was there. And then we have God's presence in the temple in Jerusalem. So whether they were Greeks or whether they were Jews, they were very much aware 
that temples were places where the manifest presence of God was to be seen. And he comes to them and thinks, you're squabbling about this. You're messing about with who your favorite preacher is, your favorite pastor. Listen, church, we have a responsibility to be the place where God's presence is manifest, where God's love is seen, God's power is demonstrated, and God's grace and mercy is extended. And so he raises their sights from this squabbling and messing about and says, listen, we have a responsibility to be a place where God's presence is. Or you pass more beautiful buildings. You probably pass places with bigger crowds than we will have in the Corinthian church. But what they haven't got is the presence of God. The other picture is, do you not know that our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit? That when we become Christians, our very being, our very bodies become temples of the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that convicted you of sin. It was the Holy Spirit who made Christ real to you. And it's the Holy Spirit that will fill you afresh if you request it from him. And so that first picture is to bring unity This picture had dimensions, walls, very rigid, and we're part of it. It was inclusive. You were either in it or out of it. God's presence was either there or God's presence wasn't there. And he says to them, listen, you are God's building. You are collectively, not me. Oh, yes, my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and so is yours, but collectively, We are God's building. We are God's temple. We are a place where God can meet. This very church was called Kensington Temple. It was founded years ago. We were remarking earlier, no doubt some visitors put the heads through the the door, round the door. You put your head through the door, you're probably drunk. Put the heads round the door. Thank you, Simon. Um, Put the heads through the door, round the door, and they're very disappointed. They see the word temple and they go, oh, I wonder what goes on in there. And then they take one look at you and they all leave. <laughs> you know, because it's just not a temple in the, sick that, the sense that some would think. But let me tell you what, if God is going to manifest his presence, I want it to be here. I want God to bless other churches, of course. I want everywhere the name of Jesus upheld to be no God's presence. But Lord, we are God's building. You are God's temple. And so... That brings unity, not only in the geography of the event, the structure of it, but in the spirituality of it. Then he comes to a second picture. He says, you are God's field. It couldn't be more different. One minute he's talking about walls, doors, talking about a roof. It's a structure. It's got boundaries. Now he says, you're God's field. Well, you know, somebody might say, well, make your mind up, Paul. Are we indoors or outdoors? Well, the answer is we're both. So if the building spoke of God's presence, the building spoke of unity where we gather together to worship him, the field, in my mind, brings with it the responsibility to be productive. Now, in Bible days, they didn't have gardens in the sense that we know it. In case my wife is watching this on live, and if you're watching on live, lovely to see you. Thank you for joining us. In case she is... I want to tell you, my wife does a cracking job. At the, I cut the grass occasionally, but she does the garden. But in Bible days, you, they weren't growing a lot of flowers. They were growing food. 
it was the, the thing, fields had to be productive. There wasn't the same, well, we'll grow something, you know, you grew, it was subsistence farming for so many. And that's the same thing around the world. You go to some country, and not a lot, they're not growing a lot of flowers. No, they're growing the dinner. And so he comes and he says, listen, you are God's field. Again, no walls, no roof, there's, a, there's expanse. But of course, fields were to be productive. Harvest. What producing? And if a church is to fulfill what God wants it to do, if we are going to have the unity that we should have, and please, I am not aware that we haven't. If we are going to move on in God and take hold of the new things that God has for us, because he's always got something new for us, then one thing he'll be looking for is the unity within the house. And so we are united in being a place where God's presence is manifest. We are united in our responsibility to be productive. This church must bear fruit. We must have a harvest. There must be something that is produced for our gatherings. If all we do is turn up to have a sing and to listen to a preacher, we have missed it. They are important. They're part of scripture. Pastors, teachers, prayer, music, worship. It's all scriptural. But at the end of the day, we had it earlier, we're going to have thousands of people walking past this church at the carnival. What a harvest for us to sing the songs of Jesus. What an opportunity to sing the songs. Many of them won't agree with them. Many of them have already decided that written us off. But let me tell you what, we're just going to sing even louder. Because we are God's field. We want to be productive. When the history of this church, when the books in heaven are open to the history of this church, we will not be measured on how often we sang, where, how often Gordon preached, how often Colin Dye prayed with people. We will not be asked that. We will be asked, have we been productive? Have we been fruitful? Have people come to faith? Have people been healed? Have people been encouraged? Because we are God's field. So, we haven't got an opportunity to mess about with, well, I'm with him and I'm with him. And well, friends, the job is too vast. And he comes to me and says, listen, Corinth, don't you understand your God's building? Don't you understand your God's field? We have a responsibility that every time we gather, his presence is manifest. We have a responsibility that as we as a church function, that we are fruitful. And we bear the fruits of the Spirit, exactly, and of course, in the evangelistic field. It seems strange, I've been visiting the church regularly now for a year, because I can remember sitting here, hearing about the Notting Hill Carnival, which made me realise a year's come round. What fruit has there been? Only God would know that. But Corinth, you're God's building. Corinth, you're God's field. And then he moves on to the third picture which again is very simple. And it's the first one, I've done them in reverse order. He says, for we are God's fellow workers. I don't know if you notice the change there. He's saying, you are God's field. You are God's building. But now he says, we are God's fellow workers. So he goes from the you to the me. The reason that Paul did that was very simple. He was not a member of the Corinthian church at this time. So he couldn't say, we are God's building, because he wasn't part of the building. I'm beginning to feel part of the building with my visit. I'm beginning to feel part of the building. One of these days, I'm going to say, which is your church? I'm going to say, without thinking, Kensington Temple, if it lasts that long. I'm not so sure. I think the writing's, no, there's difficult. No, anyway. 
But, you know, in that way, so we have that opportunity. And so we are. So it changes from you to we. He couldn't say we are God's building because he wasn't part of the church. He couldn't say we are God's field because he wasn't part of the church. But when he says we are God's fellow workers, he could. Because he was a worker, wherever he wrote this, I'm sorry, I can't remember where he wrote this epistle. Wherever he was, he was God's fellow workers. And this evening, friends, whether you're in Derby where I live or whether you're in South London, North London, West London, East London, please, we are all God's fellow workers. We can't say that the folk in Derby are part of our field. They're in Derby. We can't say the congregation in Derby are part of us. They're not part of us. They're not part of our building. They're not part of our field but we are fellow workers. And that's where the word team comes in. You see, friends, you cannot have unity without responsibility. It's not possible. So you can say, well, I want to come to church and just sit and do nothing. Well, that's fine. And if that's what you want to do, we've got room for you. We're not going to ask you to go home. But you know, unity brings responsibility. We... Got me? Hang on. We are God's fellow workers. You say, well, you know, you're, you're, you're a pastor. You're up the front. You're God's worker. I'm just. Friends, don't ever say to me, you're just something. Because if you're doing what God wants you to do, you're as equal or to any preacher that stood on this pulpit, no matter how famous they might be. We are God's fellow workers. He didn't say, well, you are God's fellow workers, but do you know I'm an apostle? I've written whole chunks of the New Testament, but you don't know that yet because they haven't printed it. You know, he didn't talk about, well, you know, I've planted churches. You know, I've done this. There was none of that. He wanted to unite them with the truth that God's presence was to be in the midst, that they were to be productive and fruitful for God. And above all, they had to start thinking of themselves as God's fellow workers. We have something to do for the Lord. You say, well, what can I do? I can't preach, I can't sing. Well, let me tell you, if you stand in a bus stop, why don't you pray that someone speaks to you, you speak to them, ask them how they got on, say, have you had a good weekend? Yes, went to the allotment. Oh, that's exciting. You know, what did you do? I went to church. Really? You went? Who knows what doors might open? But we are God's fellow workers. Our ushers today are God's fellow workers, as important as anyone that stood on the platform. Those who ministers in song and in music are as equal to the preachers or anyone this morning in what they do, because we're God's fellow workers. They're doing what they're called to do. I'll do what I'm called to do. And if we all do what God's called us to do, do you know what? The job gets done. God is glorified. The field becomes fruitful. The building becomes inhabited by the presence of God and we sense him here because we're in unity recognising what we do. No responsibility, no unity. We've got to take responsibility. You can't say, well, it's the preacher. Well, you know, I don't like that Gordon. You cannot like my preaching. It's allowed. You will still go to heaven. But don't let it get to the point but it breaks the unity down where you won't come to church because I'm speaking or that. We've got to be above that. We've got to be above that. If nothing else, come because I need the encouragement. 
Things are a bit tough at the moment. Thank you. That was it. Thank you, Mother. Um, but, you know, we have this opportunity. God's fellow. Imagine God's fellow workers. He didn't say, we are fellow workers. He didn't say, I'm an apostle and you're an usher. I'm an apostle. You work in the children's work. I'm no, he didn't say, you know, um, you and I are. He said, we are God's fellow workers. What does that mean? First of all, there is an acknowledgement there. And this sounds untheological at the beginning, but it writes itself in a moment that God actually needs us. Now, God doesn't need anyone by definition or anything, but God has chosen us to work with him in the field, in building the temple, and being involved in ministry. We are God's fellow. We are working alongside God. Now, I've, I've met some very famous preachers, some very famous preachers, but I don't work for them. They don't work for me. We work for the Lord. We are God's fellow workers. That God is working and we are working with God. When you say, I don't think I can do that, but listen, if God's encouraging you to do it, then whom he calls, he equips. He will give you that understanding. He will give you that energy to do it. So the first thing is, is the statement that we are God's fellow workers. First of all, he's acknowledging that they're in the ministry together, but here, God's fellow workers. So he wasn't saying, it's God is working with us. I could not preach. I could not enter come up here to speak if I thought it depended on me. I haven't got the intellect, I haven't got the gifting, I haven't got at all. But it's because I know that God is working with me. He is a fellow worker. Even now the Holy Spirit hopefully is speaking as he will have spoken before I got up here to hearts and to lives. We are God's fellow workers. He actually has said, you are allowed. Most preachers use this illustration. It would seem hard to believe, but you remember when you were children, particularly if you were lads, and they were picking football teams and all the kids would line up and somebody would be captain. He said, I'll have this one. Then he'd pick somebody else and he'd pick some. Guess who was always last? Gordon Neal, correct. <laughs> it's the first time he's got something right, Scott. Well done. You know, I, nobody wanted me in their team. The reason why, I can't kick a ball straight. I can't, no, no, no sympathy, please. I just can't. So they would be picking this guy and that guy and that guy. And I would, you know, I wouldn't be in the team. But let me tell you this. God isn't like that. There is something for you to do. There is a place where you fit. There is something you can do that no one else can do in this church. It may be praying. It may be making a phone call. It may be writing a letter. It might be popping into a hospital. I don't know what it is, but we can be God's fellow workers. Even in your giving of your offering, we're fellow workers together. In, if I can say, it doesn't sound very spiritual, in sponsoring the ministry and the work of this church. So it's wonderful to know that God has said, I cannot do him by himself. Um, we've come to the second one. He, do you know, what a privilege to be God's fellow worker that God actually not only says, I need your help, Gordon, but he is prepared to put his name alongside my name, or I put my name alongside his. 
God's fellow workers. Years ago, not so much now as people have got to know me, they, they might say, well, it's nice to have the man of God in the house. And I used to look around for who that was. I thought, when did he come in? And in certain traditions, that's the terminology they would use. But let me tell you now, none of that. We are fellow workers together. He doesn't define what it is. He just defines the word work. In it together. We're in it together to provide a place for God's presence. We're in it together to be productive and win men and women for Christ and boys and girls. We're in it together so that we can work and do this. We will never achieve what God has for this church. And with the greatest respect to its history and with no criticism in my heart, there is far more that we have yet to do. Far more. And it is a matter of where you and I realize that we're in the ministry. Ministry with a small M, maybe. Not the ministry and ordination and all that malarkey. But not now. I'm talking about being involved and part of it. You can't fall out in a church. You can't have a division in a church when people's hearts are set on God's presence in the midst. You cannot have division in a church where people's heart are set on being productive and bearing fruit. You cannot have division within a church when people realise that we're in the work together with God and he's attributed his name to what we're doing and be part of it. And lastly, you've listened very well on a warm evening. If we are God's fellow workers, we have a guarantee of success. Now, I could be slick and say, well, we know we're successful because we read the end of the book and in the Revelation, the church is victorious. We know that. But if we fulfill this, if our desire, our agenda, our vision statement is that God's, every time we meet, we're going to be God's building. This building is going to be different from every other building around here because God's presence is here because I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit and I'm bringing the Holy Spirit with me, you bring him with you. And before we know it, we have got some meeting where we realize that we don't only exist for those inside the building, but we exist for those outside the building. And in the carnival, we have a great opportunity to do that. And when we feel the job is too large for us, I don't think we can do it. We stand back and say, we are God's fellow workers. I can't fall out with a ministry team here. They shouldn't fall out with me. We can, don't, we can disagree. We can have debates. We can have, of course we can. We're not clones. We're not robots. We can have all of that. But our responsibility is that we're all God's fellow workers and we want to achieve something for God. Now, I know that's been quite a, cha not a challenging message, but a very down-to-earth message. But you know, friends, that's the whole point of church. Church is not a place for comfort, a place for stirring and encouraging and going forward. In the beginning, he said, I do not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. He acknowledges the existence of infants in church. How old are you in Christ? Oh, well, I've been a Christian 40 years. And you still can't forgive people. You've been a Christian 40 years and you still don't bother reading your Bible. Come on, friends. We've got to mature up. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you're not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. Are you still worldly? Since there is jealousy, quarreling among you, are you not worldly? And these things have to be gone. Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Paulus, are you not mere men? 
He's saying, aren't you like everybody else? Personalities become more important than God. Of course you, as I said at the beginning, we can have our favourite. I mentioned last time I preached here in the morning, one of my favourite preachers was an Assembly God pastor called uh, um, John Phillips. Now, please, I'm not a devotee of John Phillips. I just love his preaching. If he's still with us, he's an elderly man. But there's nothing wrong. I'm not talking about that. It's when we say, well, you know, I'm with Pastor Colin. I'm with Pastor Simon. I'm with, you know, I'm not here enough to, for you to get behind me. Friends, we're having none of that. None of that. Because we are God's building, God's field, and we're all God's fellow workers. So we have the we of ministry. Once that goes, you become a one-man band, and I think the Holy Spirit's on his way out.